Welcome to the teaching ministry of Magnolia's First. To learn more, visit m1bc.org. Well, if you missed last week, you missed an incredible story from Pastor Jeff, our missions pastor. And I want to encourage you to go back, if you didn't get the chance, and listen to his story. Uh, We're talking about this concept of it's all about control. And he shares... He shares the story from a very humble heart of, of how he was unable to give God back control of his life and his family as his daughter uh, battled a illness for over a year. And, and, and you can only hear that story from him and with the humility and with the uh, strength of saying, I'm out of control you can only hear that from a dad who has literally lost control of his family, yet God was in control the whole time. And so if you did not get a chance, go to our website and listen to that message from Jeff. We're building on that today and talking about giving control to God. And when we do not do that, we are filled with anxiousness and worry And those things creep up in our life when we have not given the control back to God. And so I want to talk today how we view God and how we view our relationship with God and what it really means to be a follower of Christ. And when we look at this concept of worry, here's what we need to understand. Worry is a futile emotion wasted on things that God already has under control. And so easy to say on the other side of a difficult time in our life. But we need to remember that truth. Worry drains us of emotional energy. Worry robs us of our peace. Worry gives a false sense of control. Worry weakens the testimony of our faith in God. And worry seeks to pressure God into doing our will instead of His will. And a lot of the battle when it comes to worry and trust and and our relationship with Christ is battling our will versus His will and giving our will over to Him to let Him control. Our big idea for today is trust in God extinguishes worry. Trust in God extinguishes worry. One thing that Pastor Jeff mentioned in the midst of being in the hospital with his daughter is he was constantly asking the question, why? And oftentimes in our life, our Christian life, and and just life in general, we begin to ask these questions, why? And as Christ followers, we address those questions to God. But often, as not a Christ follower, we just direct those questions to anybody who would listen. In fact, in in 2020, Google comes out every once in a while, about once a year, and they, they share the most popular search terms over the past year, and they compare it to previous years. When 2020, of all the years, uh, the most search terms that started with why were more than any other year. And it's honestly, it's based on just a time in our society, a time in our culture to where we do not have answers. And when we don't have answers, 
we have confusion. When we have confusion, we have worry, and it leads to that anxiousness. And I want to bring us to a point today to where we understand that it's okay to ask God why. But I want you to self-examine, and I need to self-examine myself, is are my questions based out of worry, fear, and anxiousness rather than looking to God who truly has my best life in his hands. Worry is a futile emotion wasted on things that God already has under control. In the song and the verse that was sung earlier in a couple of the songs over uh, Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. And then my favorite part of that passage is it says, he makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside, he is so involved in our life that he, he creates opportunities and he will make us lie down. He will force us to lie down and just be in his presence and show us the green path that he would have uh, for us because he is already in control. As we move forward today, here's the tension I want us to wrestle with because I, I believe it is rooted in this, that we have this lack of trust and we have this anxiety. And it's the tension between our will and God's will. And if you listen to Jeff's story, that is one thing he battled with is allowing God's will to come first. And so when we in our life on a daily basis, if we are trying to impose our will on God's will, we are left with a lot of frustration. And so these questions end up being rooted in worry. Let me pray and then we'll get into this. Father, I love you. I pray that you would take this time and, and Father, again, may, may my words just kind of disappear and I pray that your voice would be heard loud and clear. Lord, I pray that your message would be uh, overpowering today, Lord, of any words that I would put together. And Father, help us to trust you. Help us to trust you so deep that worry would fade away. And Father, if there's someone in here that has anxiousness, has worry in their life, I pray that maybe they would see a part of you that you want to take that away and take over. And Father, I'm not talking about a, a life where you just make everything awesome and you bless us with money. Lord, Father, that's not what we're talking about. In fact, Father, I know Pastor Jeff, it's a daily battle still with his daughter. And Lord, just the, the continued process of healing for her. And Lord, to know that he has put control back in your hands. Father, I pray that that we could do the same. And Father, may it be a daily prayer for each of us, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I do kind of weird things every once in a while, and I decided to Google what does it mean to be a good Christian. Anybody ever done that? Did you get great advice? Just curious. Well, I, I wanted to see this 
tension. If people are reaching out to God and they're asking why, and then if people are reaching out to Google and asking why, I just phrased my search term, uh, you know, why, I said, you know, what is God's will for my life? You know, God, why does all this happen? And I kept on putting in Christian terms, and I finally got to the best term I could find, and it was just simply uh, how to live a good Christian life. And you might be surprised what I came up with. Sometimes you get some pretty decent stuff on Google. Uh, I do not recommend it, just so you know. But uh, it's a great resource to kind of put you in the right direction. But I came across an a article from WikiHow. And if you've ever Googled how to do so, I'm constantly Googling how to do things with my car or my house. And, uh, and I get a lot of good information there. In fact, I usually get about 10 steps with pictures. Are you familiar with those? And so you Google it, WikiHow, 10 steps with pictures. I'm all in. And so I said, hey, what would WikiHow have to say about how to be a good Christian, how to live a good Christian life? And I came up with, or Google came up with WikiHow, two methods, which you need to ponder that for a bit, how to be a good Christian. There are two methods. Each have five steps, and they have pictures. And so I want to give you the pictures on the screen just so that you can see them, and I'll tell you what they are. And so number one is ask Jesus into your life. I want to be clear. WikiHow got it right, okay? And so if you are here and you have never, step one, invited Jesus to come into your life, then they get, they get the applause right there, okay? At least in method one, they got it right. But uh, I cannot stress that enough, is that each Sunday, we speak a lot. A lot of our language is to those that are following Christ. But if you are here, if you are online, you've never accepted Christ. That truly is step one. And I pray that you would take that step. In fact, I'll be in the hospitality room after uh, this message and invite you to come in there. Uh, if you're watching online, uh, in fact, Pastor Jeff is uh, in the chat right now, and we would love to share with you what it means to be a follower of Christ. Now, I'm going to go through these five steps, and if you're just now tuning in and you walk away from here saying, Mild had five steps to be a good Christian, you missed it. Okay, so need to pay attention here. I'm not talking about five steps, but I want you to see where Google and WikiHow gets it wrong. They do say, ask Jesus into your life. That is truly the first step. Confess your sins to God. Strengthen your bond with God by praying consistently. Read your Bible and then join a group of like-minded followers for fellowship and service. All of those are good. And all the pictures on that one were fairly appropriate, if you ask me. In fact, if you're not, if you've never given your life to Christ, if you're not in fellowship and community with other people, if you're not part of a small group, do that. But here's the problem with the five things. It's a list. You can't narrow down the Christian life to a list of five things. More importantly, you can't have two methods. (laughs) Listen to the second method. The first method was having a close relationship with God. Method two was following God's commands. Avoid the temptation to sin, hence the snake. Uh, Treat others with love, charity, and forgiveness. Uh, Number three, and I cannot figure out the picture on this one, but avoid falling into the temptation of materialism. 
And so the only thing I decided is this guy's praying for a two-story house. I'm not sure what he's praying for, but, uh, but he's at the steps. I'm not sure. Listen for God's calling for how you should serve others. Share your faith with others. All those, again, they're great things, but they are a list. I am a list guy. I want a list from the Lord. I would like five steps from God with pictures to tell me how to get through this. But there is no formal and confined list how to live your life as a Christian. And here's my greatest takeaway, is that they gave two methods. And you know what the two methods identify? They identify the the tension that we all have between our relationship with God and then following God's commands. Method one was having a close relationship with God. Method two following God's commands. And you can't separate those out. You can't put them into a list. In fact, when you do, to be honest, it becomes a very emotionally unsatisfying answer that we get. And God has a much, much bigger answer than just a list that he wants to give you. If you want 10 things to work on that are good, go for it. But then also, if you want the answer to anxiety and worry in your life, then you have to truly understand the fundamentals of faith. When it comes to fundamentals, you have to have the absolute fundamental truth of who God is in your life. Otherwise, you're just following steps. Otherwise, you end up with this crisis that WikiHow got that you don't understand your relationship in terms of your actions and following God's commands. We will confuse that actions lead to relationship rather than relationships leading to actions. And it all gets messed up all because we do not fundamentally understand our relationship uh, to God. You will not hear a lot of sports illustrations from me, especially ones that involve me playing sports. Because I, as a kid, was most familiar with the back of the line just hoping to be picked. And some of you can identify that with me or with me on that. Some of you cannot, but you were maybe the punk that wouldn't pick me. I'm not sure. But, you know, whoever you are, here's what I want you to understand. When it came to football, in, in my neighborhood, we lived in, in the, the cookie-cutter neighborhood, and there was only one area about midway down the street that the homes didn't have fences. And so that's where we would congregate to play football because we weren't allowed to play in the street, apparently. That was a rule. And so we played in the backyard where there were no fences and we're able to do this. But here was my problem. I did not understand the fundamentals of football. What I understood football to be is that the goal of every play was to get a touchdown. And some of you would shake your head and say, yeah, that's, that's, you got it right. Yeah, that's good. That's good. But the problem is, because I didn't understand the true fundamentals of the game of football, I operated on one fundamental, and that was every play needs to equal a touchdown or else it's failure. Let me tell you how that plays out. Milt gets the ball. 
Milt makes some good progress. You know, maybe gets one full, you know, porch length or whatever it was, however we measured it back then. But guess what would happen, based on my fundamental understanding of football, guess what would happen when someone caught me and they're about to tackle me? I would chunk that ball like anybody. And so I'd never hang on to the ball. And so my fundamental understanding was is that if I held on to the ball, I failed. What that means is it didn't matter how close I got, how much I progressed down the football field, if I was about to get tackled, I would throw the ball. I'm not trying to make a spiritual relationship to football right now. I promise you that. What I want you to understand was is because I didn't understand the fundamental relationship of every play and how it relates to the end game, I didn't know how to play the game. And I wasn't picked. You see, fundamentally, every play, the desire really is just to get down the field a little bit. Now, I still don't understand all the fundamentals of football, so don't get me wrong. In fact, you've, you've, you've heard the great football coach, Vince Lombardi. What does he say? His great fundamental speech. I'm sure you've heard it. He holds up a football to his team, and he says, say it with me. This is a football. None of you said it. You've got to say it. Makes me feel good. This is a football. Let me tell you the fundamental relationship that you have with Christ. And here it is, spoiler alert. Your life belongs to Him. Your life is His. And we get this fundamental speech in Colossians uh, chapter 3. Turn with me to Colossians chapter 3 because I like these great speeches. I like a good list. Don't get me wrong. If I can find a list in Scripture that's going to take me from one place to the next, I'll hang on to it. And there's a few in there. But this is a fundamental speech that we miss the impact of what God is trying to do in our life. To trust God, we have to understand our relationship with him. Listen to what it says. Colossians chapter 3 verses 1 through 4. Since you have been raised to new life with Christ, set your sights on the realities of heaven, where Christ sits in the place of honor at God's right hand. Think about the things of heaven and not the things of earth, for you died to this life, and your real life is hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ, who is your life, is revealed to the whole world, you will share in all his glory. There's two ways of looking at this passage. And some of you have already done it because you think you've already figured out what I'm going to say. Some of you have come up with a list and you've thought to yourself, he's right. I need to set my sights on the realities of heaven. Step one, I need to pray about it. And, and you've created... You, if you created a list out of that passage, then you missed it as far as I'm concerned. There's some great things in there. Don't get me wrong, but, but you missed it. It's not a list to say, set your sights high, think about heaven, pray without ceasing, and, and all these things. It's so much bigger than that. So Colossians, let's go through it a little bit slower, slowly. Since you have been raised to new life with Christ, set your sights on the realities of heaven, where Christ sits in the place of honor at God's right hand. Think about the things of heaven and not the things of earth. This is more than a, a physical focus of your eyes. It's more than just a daily prayer. What, what 
what Paul is saying, he says, don't deny your own reality, but shift your focus towards heaven. He's saying, view your current reality in context with your relationship with God. Jeff mentioned crying out in the hospital to God and just saying, why, 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 but never giving God control until much later on. And, and as he was crying out, he was crying out in his own context without ever understanding the full context of the relationship he has with God. And then just like we do, as they say, the Monday morning quarterback, we look back at our life as he has, and now he sees some things that God has done that are amazing through that. It's a, a shift of our attitude. It's a shift of focus. And now he says this, he goes, for you died to this life. You know who in scripture had a major shift of focus? Remember Lazarus who was raised from the dead? What do you think he was like after being raised from the dead? You know, they tried to kill him again. They wanted to. They kind of, people were getting all excited. They saw what Jesus did. And so the people that were trying to kill Jesus, then they teamed up. They said, we'll try and kill Lazarus. What do you think his attitude was? Do you think he got really scared and hid? You know what I'd suggest? I think he probably said, go for it. Been there, done that. Have at it. He, if you're raised from death to life, you have a totally different perspective on life. And Lazarus had that physical death. He became a rock star. And he no longer had that focus on earthly things, but on heavenly things. I'd imagine he still had a lot of things going on in his life. In fact, now he had people trying to kill him. But... He had a new focus on God and his relationship with God. It's a new life, a new perspective. For you died to this life, and your real life is hidden with Christ in God. Now, these next words are what I want you to hang on. This is what we typically miss when we read Colossians. This is Colossians 3, verse 4. And when Christ, who is your life, is revealed to the whole world, you will share in all his glory. Here's why that passage sticks out to me. Is that you could remove the four words, who is your life, and the sentence still makes sense. You could remove that. You could just say, and when Christ is revealed to the whole world, you will share in all his glory. But for whatever reason, Paul slipped in there and when Christ, who is your life, is revealed to the whole world, you will share in all his glory. We share in his glory because he is our life. We share in his glory because he is our all. He is our everything. He is everything we have hoped to aspire towards, to be. It is His will, not our will. And so to just simply say, and when Christ is revealed to the whole world, you will share in all His glory, it makes it sound like that God is going to all of a sudden come alongside us and we'll share in it. And what, what Paul is communicating there is that 
We are with God. Our life is His life. Our life belongs to Him. As a Christ follower, I am thankful for that. We want our life to be His. I don't mean to make it sound simple, but here's where it plays out. If, if Christ is not truly our life, if God is not our life, then there's a chance that we have compartmentalized God to just a little section of our life. Not even in our brain or in our, you know, our head, but we have maybe compartmentalized God to where God is our life maybe here. God is our life maybe at this time of the day or this time of the week. Sunday morning at 11 o'clock is a good time of the week. But how does it play out the rest of the week or even the rest of the day? Is God your life so much that the choices you make are based on Him and not you? On Him and not me? You see, God becomes at the forefront of everything He is. And He is shouting to us and telling us who He is and all the power that He has. When we understand this, there becomes a massive peace in our life. We hand that control back over to God and we trust Him and that extinguishes all worry. I have a thought and I might be wrong. But I've always thought when I get to heaven, I'm going to ask some pretty deep questions. One of them really is, why is the sky blue? One of them is going to be, so where is my dog? But you know what I think the greatest thing, the greatest, or, or, or the most often spoke words will be as people get to heaven? I believe it's going to be this. I believe they're going to walk up with their questions geared up that they want to ask God about and say, man, I need to know if I'm right on this. And they're going to walk through the gates and they're going to go, oh, aha, okay. I see what you're doing there, God. I think when we get to heaven and we get that heavenly perspective, it will put everything into the light that our natural response will be, okay. Now I understand. That's why. All these times where we ask God, why? Now it's going to be, aha. And then thank you, Lord, for what you did. Here, here's the next step I want to give you. It's a very simple next step. I, I want you to change your question from God, why? Or God, what should I do with my life? And change it to the simple question for your day. And it's this. It says, God, what should I do with your life that is in me? And all that question is, is a shift of perspective. We all go through times where we want, we want God to be so you know, clear with us as of to what to do. And we miss out that He is our life. God, what should I do with your life? That is within me. You remember Moses? He got the burning bush. How many of you, when you have a decision coming up or you have a sick child, you have whatever's going on, you would love the burning bush 
and the burning bush would give you five steps with pictures. Wouldn't that be great? I kind of think that in my life at times when I'm going through difficult times, I kind of look up at God and kind of in a sarcastic way because I can be sarcastic for sure. And I say, you know what? If I had a burning bush right now, I think I'd make the right decision. But you know the very guy that got the burning bush, he questioned God so many times. I want you to hear what he says. He protested. He had a burning bush that didn't get consumed. And he still protested God. And I want you to hear God's answer. It's in Exodus chapter 3. He says, now go, for I am sending you to Pharaoh. You must lead my people, Israel, out of Egypt. Moses is the one called to lead God's people out of captivity and slavery. But Moses, verse 11, protested to God, who am I to appear before Pharaoh? Who am I to lead the people of Israel out of Egypt? Why me, God? Are you sure you want to use me? God, why, why, why? God's answer is powerful. God gives an answer that if you read it closely, you think it's only for the people of Israel. But what God gives Moses is, I think, a very strong command to Moses. And then he says, and then go tell the people the same thing. Listen to what he says. God answered, I'll be with you. But Moses, he protested again. He said, if I go to the people of Israel and I tell them the God of your ancestors has sent me to you, they're going to ask me, what's his name? What should I tell them? And God replied, and this one was for Moses. He says, I am who I am. And if you'll go back and read that in Exodus, I think you'll agree with me that there is a pointed, almost, almost disgusted of God going to Moses and saying, I am who I am. And then he says this, say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. In a moment, Dalton's going to come and he's going to sing a song uh, for us. And I want you to pay attention to the words. The words, uh, as we were talking about it, it's a, a letter from God to us. So will you let these words sink in and let it be a letter from God directly to your heart? Father, we love you. We thank you for today. And Father, would you minister to us now through song, Lord. We just love you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Stand firm in 
your faith and be courageous and strong. Don't stress, just breathe deep and know I'm holding it all. Sometimes trusting me looks like a free fall. But either way, I hope that you jump right in. Let my peace you can understand take over your heart. Take over your thoughts. I'm invisibly aware. Just try to receive what I give free. Where you go, I am there. Where you go, I am there. Press on and move forward and leave the rest in my hands. I'm with you, I'm for you because I am who I am. Sometimes my love looks like the sea and just cannonball. But either way, I hope that you jump right in. Let my peace you can comprehend take over your heart. Take over your thoughts. I'm invisibly aware. Just try to receive what I give free and know where you go. When you see a mountain, know that I'll move them. When your seas are raging, I'll walk you through them. When you're on the edge, just try and scream out my name. When you look at me, you'll be dancing on water. When you're in need, I'll provide like a father who would give just to have you by his side when you run away know that i'll keep pursuing your every mistake just know that i'll use it to break others chains when you testify of what i've done in all of the chaos and all of return but I am I am I am who 
God's word says, be still and know that I am God. People of God, when you leave here today, give your fear, your worry, your anxiety to him and live free and know that he is holding it all. Thank you, Jesus, for the cross. Thank you for your love.